Well, I'd love to add my welcome again. Just in case you missed it, my name is Mark and I am the Young Adult Pastor here. A special shout out to anyone who is at the Young Adult Quiz and uh, who won Friday evening. Any winners here? Just one, great. No, okay. Well, we had a fantastic time. My team actually did come joint first, but we lost the, uh, the tie break, which was to pick the highest card out of the pack. And who, who did it? Is Ross here? Hi, Ros. Thanks for that. Unlucky next time. <laughs> we, we, we did win a carvery. Anyway, most of you weren't there, so I'm going to move swift, swiftly on. Okay, so I'm going to be looking at a passage found in Romans, Romans 12, 9 to 21. Um, but I'm going to be looking it, at it in the light of my trip to India. Me, Kathy, and senior pastor Mark uh, went for a week to India and, uh, but if you do have a Bible, if you don't, you can grab one at the back and turn to, to Romans. And I'm going to say, let's just start off reading it. Oh, there you go, it's up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along here. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual further, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. It carries on. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, here we have a passage about love and about putting love into action. The NIV kind of puts a title that some other Bibles don't have, and that is Love Into Action. And it's about us as Christians, how are we supposed to act in Christian love? How are we supposed to be sincere? And um, in, the, in the Greek word behind the sincere is, is, a, is, a, is the word kind of being hypocrites without being hip, hip, hypocritical. Hypocrisy? I can't think of it now. You know what I'm trying to say, I just can't get it out. We're not supposed to be hypocritical in our love. We'll go with that. And we know, don't we, that Jesus, um, to, the, to the heart, the, the, the core teaching of, of his teaching was, uh, was love. We are to love God and to love people. But we also know that love, at least in our society, can be quite a vague idea. And we don't have different words for love like the Greek do. We know they had five different words, but we just have one. And we can say things like, I love my iPad, or I love my new shirt that I bought in India, or... I love a good curry, which I had a lot of in India. 
Um, or we can say, you know, to a, a dear loved one, I really, really love you. But obviously, hopefully, that means something a lot more than I love a good curry or I love my iPad. And so in this passage, Paul's going to give us a look of really how we put love into action. And he specifies different types of behavior that manifest love. And the first thing that he does is to say that love is more than a feeling. So it's actually an action. It's something that we do. Verse 9 at the beginning of that reading says, we are to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And in so doing those things, they, they make us be active. If we're going to cling to what is good, it's something that's going to um, take us to, to, to do something. We can't just cling to what is good by thinking it's a nice idea to like something. If we're going to cling to something, that means we're going to take action and, and grab hold of it. He's using quite um, strong language here, you know, to cling to something, to graft to something. He wants the, the Christians he's writing to, to to take action, to get that if we're going to be a loving people, we're going to have to cling to the good things. And interestingly, again, the word he uses, hate, hate what is evil, that's a very strong word. I remember when I was growing up, and um, anyone who has a brother or sister know, there can be times when it's quite hard and challenging. And in frustration, I would say, I hate you, Joe, who's my sister. And my mum and dad always say, don't ever say you hate your sister. It's such a horrible word. Um, but here we have Paul saying, hate what is evil. Because he doesn't want us to be involved with evil things. But also he wants us to be a people that are going to speak out against evil in this world. That are going to stand up for the injustices in this world. There's no room in God's kingdom to participate with evil actions. And so I'm just going to read out, and actually on the screen there's going to be the list of uh, these different examples of things to do. I'm going to go through them again. So we have be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. So in true Paul's style, there's quite a lot of stuff that he crams in. He likes to cram in a lot of words, I find, especially in the book of Romans. And there's, there's quite a few different things going on here. And I'm going to try and unpack some of them, um, like I said, as I look at the trip to India. Anyone been to India here before? Quite a few. Oh, good. Well, hopefully some of this will remind you of what you've seen. Um, but... I know I was definitely, luckily, really feel really privileged to go to India and saw some amazing, amazing stories of actually love into action. So, Mark Mellish, our senior pastor, I'm going to refer to him as Melly, Melly because he's not here. Um, so don't tell him if he comes, if he, if he, just don't tell him. Uh, so Melly uh, was invited to go to India 15 years ago. And that was because his friend was due to speak, uh, but couldn't make it. So he asked Melly for a favor and said, could you go along and uh, go and speak to uh, these, these Christian brothers and sisters in India? Um, so Melly thought, hey, that sounds like a good idea. He'd never been before. So off he went. He went to, 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 meet, a peep, to meet people he had never known in a complete 
completely different country that he'd never been before. And little did he know that an amazing relationship would start to form uh, between little old Ealing St. Paul's and some churches in, in India. And so we've, over the last 15 years, St. Paul's has been uh, kind of continued to support and build relationships with different pastors um, and, and, and friends now uh, in India. And so myself, Kathy and Mark went back last Tuesday for a week, came back this Tuesday, just gone. The point of the trip was to meet with the pastors who St. Paul's as a church have been supporting. And there was a conference there that mainly Melly was speaking. I was able to do a little bit of teaching and Kathy as well. And we wanted to see um, some of the schools that St. Paul's had helped um, buy and, and uh, see the kind of work that they were doing as well. So there's quite a lot going on, quite a lot to, to cram in. And to get there was an eight and a bit hour flight to Delhi and then a two hour and a half flight from Delhi to Bordagra and then a two and a half hour journey from that small airport to Purnia. So Purnia is in the state of Bihar, which is in the northeast, northeast of India. And I'm just going to show you a little bit, a little clip of our first kind of viewings of Purnia. I did actually post this on my Facebook, so some of you would have seen this, but after we kind of checked in, um, rested, we woke up the next day and thought we'll check out our, our local town and see what it was like, because we were very excited to see it. So if we could roll the video. Okay, so here we are in North India, Bihar, and Pernia. I'm with Mark, Kathy, and we're just taking a stroll down our local streets to see what it's like. As you can see, there's lots of bikes, loads of bikes, lots of beeping and noise, big hustle and bustle. Very hot. Which way should we go? We gotta go down there, surely. Yeah. Okay. Why did I why did I show that clip? Hopefully you could get a little bit of a taste of what India is like. Anyone who's been to India before will, will know that that really is a good snapshot of the hustle and bustle, of the busyness, and of the horn beeping that goes with India. It is a, an amazing place, but it is a crazy place. And if you ever go in a car with anyone who's local, they spend um, the whole time on the horn ready to beep. No one generally checks their, checks their wing mirror. So anyone could just pull out at any time. So whenever you're going to overtake anyone, any time you're near someone, you pass someone on, who's walking on the side of the street, you beep and you let them know that you're there. And so it's like a real attack on your senses, especially on your hearing the whole time. Beep, 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 beep. And this is, like I said, this was just the local kind of streets to where we were staying. So this town was called Pernia, and there was 200,000 people there. But it's a very, very, very poor area. So the state that it's in, um, India's divided up into about, I can't remember now, 15 states, maybe more. And Bihar is the poorest one. And uh, you, you see there's a couple of different pictures that are flicking by. 
and you, you'll see a lot of people like this who are just carrying, I'm sure you've seen this from uh, different things on TV, but just carrying random different stuff. This was a woman that many took a picture of. She wasn't too happy, but um, yeah, quite, it, her face seemed to tell a lot of stories there. All right, this is really interesting. So all along the streets were the, the wire poles, all, all the wiring, and it just seemed like each one of these little uh, poles, people had just plugged in their electricity and tapped into the power source. And it was, just, it was just amazing. I mean, talk about health and safety. There is no such thing as health and safety in India. It, it kind of whatever goes, goes. Whatever you want, whatever you can get away with, get away with it. Here's just some pictures of some spices. Um, that was really nice. Loads and loads of fruit stalls. Um, in, in Pernia, it just seems like every street was rammed full of different shops. Um, most of them kind of corrugated shops, corrugated iron. Some of them were, were buildings, but still a place that is under a lot of development. And Mark said it had changed a lot from 15 years ago when he visited. It took him 12 hours from the airport to get to, to Pernia, and it took us two hours and a half. So the roads had been developed a lot more. The, work, the roads still weren't great in our view, but com compared to what was there before, it was amazing. Uh, you get a lot of, a lot of guys on, on bikes. You could see in the video, loads of bikes, loads of motorbikes. There wasn't loads of cars. There was quite a few cars, but it wasn't like London where everyone has a car. Everyone has a bike or a motorbike, and people will be lugging. If you just go back, please, Mark. People will be lugging around uh, loads of different gear on, on the back of their bikes. I saw one guy carrying loads of gas canisters who was just about going faster than, than us on, on foot. So hopefully that's just given you a bit of a flavor of what India is like and what our town was like. Right now I want you to meet Pastor Josie and Minnie and their daughter Lisa. So these were our hosts. These are the people that Mark met 15 years ago. And they were kind of looking after us, taking us in, showing us around. And uh, they were an amazing couple, as you'll hear about very soon. They were a couple who understood what putting love into action is all about. You see, Pastor Josie, as everyone who knows him calls him, uh, and Minnie were not from Bihar. They were from the south of India. I can't remember the state, but they were in a context that was far more comfortable than Bihar. So they were in an economy that had um, a steady economy compared to uh, Purnia, the town they were in. So they had, um, they had steady jobs, they had a nice home, and they left that home, they left that context and moved to Purnia because they felt God put it on their heart, a place where hardly any Christians had been to and, and kind of ministered. And they moved into a really humble home with no electricity, uh, no running water, no, I guess what we would call toilet, but no particularly hygienic toilet and not much of a shower. For, and for a lot of Indians, that's, um, that's a kind of standard context. When I came back from my trip, I read up on India because whenever you go places, you, you kind of tend to, you get really interested. And I found out that India is the seventh biggest country in the world, but has a second biggest population of 1.2 billion, looking to take over China by 2050. Um, so they don't have the, the, the kind of laws that the government have tried to put in about having one kid. 
and they're continually growing. So they also have the third of the world's poor in, in their country. So that's one country having a third of the world's poor. And everywhere you look, at least where we were, you, you, were, you, 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 you could kind of see that that stat makes sense because it was, it was all around. So these guys, they moved here out of their comfort zones to, to love to bless and to share the gospel in, in Bihar. And at the time, um, and still to some extent, though not as bad, there's a real danger of persecution. And, and Josie has a lot of stories where he's been running or hiding for his life because uh, mainly Hindus, and I think some Muslims are mainly Hindus because that's the majority of the people that live there, uh, were not happy that there was a Christian pastor who was trying to basically evangelize. And he was telling me this one story when they'd followed him back to his home and um, they didn't have a gate. They have a gate now, but he said they had no gate so they could go right up to his doors and they were shouting for him to come down because basically they wanted to, to kill him. Um, now luckily they didn't obviously go out and eventually after throughout the night they kind of left him. But he said that he has lots of stories like that when he's been quite scared for his life. So very, very different context to my life as a pastor. Very different. One of the things that really struck me about um, Josie, uh, Minnie as well, but I spent a lot of time with Josie, was he was really full of compassion and joy of his job. And he kept on saying, if this was for one person, if this was so that one person would come to the Lord, I'd happily be here. And, you know, maybe a cliched thing for someone to say who's, who's kind of a missionary who goes to another place, but you couldn't help but really believe it because of the, the way he lived and the... Uh, yeah, his, his actions, the, the way he interacted with his leaders, the way he interacted with, with people was, it was really a humbling experience. So like I said earlier, we were there partly to, to be at a conference and to do a bit of speaking. And uh, the, the first time we walked into the building, I want to show you a clip of what it was like because we, we walk into um, their worship and I'm just going to, well, well, we'll watch it together and I'll explain a bit about it. Let me tell you, for someone who loves worship, who loves rocking out and being loud, this was unbelievably loud. You can't really tell from that video. Uh, they put us right by the, the front, front speaker, so it probably didn't help that we were there. But it was just unbelievably loud. Nothing like I'd ever experienced in any church context. You know, for the size of the room, um, the volume was, was overwhelming. 
And me, Mark, and Kathy were kind of looking at each other and thinking, is anyone else noticing that it's loud? And as you can see, they were seriously going for it, and they were absolutely loving it. They had hired a, a PA system, which to our standards was a really cheap one and, and not a very good one. They probably didn't really know how to work it, so I don't think they had much training, maybe, because there was always feedback. So they would be singing, and it would just be going... But no one would stop. They'll just be, they'll just, you know, they'll keep it going, keep it going. Um, even when the, the pastor's preaching, someone's preaching, a lot of the time, because we're in India, the power just goes. No one shifts, no one blinks an eyelid. The, the pastor just keeps giving it, and people just keep receiving. And it's only the, the kind of Westerners who are thinking, oh no, the power's on, what are we going to do? Where's the source? How? You know, they're, they're kind of going for it. And then two minutes later, and the power goes back on, and it's like it's never happened again. Um, so that was a, a real experience. Another point to say about the worship is that every session, at least when they started off the, the, the session, lasted for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um, I've, I'm married to a Trinidadian, and I've been in Pentecostal circles when I go to, to visit Trinidad, so I'd experienced services like that before. But it's definitely an experience to be um, in a church service where the worship goes on for an hour, hour and a half, and I think we, we would probably get to, te- we would tend to get bored quite easily, but for them, they were absolutely loving it. And um, I mean, you could probably gather from there, there's real joy, real joy in that, in that worship. And it was just really infectious. So once we got over our kind of Western tendencies, we were just loving it. At first, it was just like, oh, I can't take this, I can't take this, what's going on? They're, like, they're not really singing in tune, and oh, the, the music's really loud, but... It, once that was out the window, like by day two and three, we were just, we didn't know what we were singing, but we were, we were getting right into it. I wish I took a video of Millie, really. That would have been funny. Oh, well, maybe next time. So from our, our reading passage, verse 11 and 12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, seeing the Lord. Be joyful in your hope. And I thought, wow, that would be a good clip to kind of summarize um, a bit of that passage, that these guys were really joyful. They were, they were passionate about worshiping their God, and it really came out. The more time we spent with them, the more we could see their, their passion and their, their zeal, their zealousness for the, for the Lord. I want to I show you a picture of a lady whose name I can't remember or pronounce, um, and this lady came up to Pastor Josie, and she was looking quite distressed and quite frustrated here. She looks a lot happier. This was actually after the conversation. And um, so she was speaking in Hindi, and we had no idea what was going on. And then Josie came in afterwards and said, oh, this woman, she became a Christian recently. She's from a Hindu village, and the, she's been getting a bit of persecution, and the villagers have stopped her going to the well to take water. So she can go, but she has to go at a time that's inconvenient, not the time when everyone goes, when all the women go to the well. And then another thing that happened is that they'd stole all her cooking equipment, so she couldn't cook. And so, um, yeah, that was, quite, that was quite a bit of a shock, a bit of a, a reality shock, I guess, to the context of the people that were there and what was going on for them, and that persecution is really real. It's happening around us as we were there. We were meeting someone who who'd come across kind of, I guess, persecution for her faith and being rejected by the people in her village. And that was, uh, that was quite a humbling experience. Personally, for me, I guess I haven't really experienced persecution, really, for being a Christian, just being called a loser at school for it. But 
Anyone can really take that. I did knock him out afterwards, just joking. Just joking. Maybe in my head, but then I repented. Um, so, so yeah, she came, and it was quite serious. And amazingly, really because of St. Paul's and the ministry they have here, we were able to, to speak to Josie and say, look, how much is it going to cost to get this woman a water pump in her in her house, so she'd have to go, and how much is it going to cost to get some pots and pans, whatever she needs? And they kind of, you know, he spoke with some of his leaders, how much is it going to cost, blah, 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 and he said, oh, it's going to be about 40 quid. And we're like, 40 quid to get this woman a pump so that she can have running water in her home and pots and pans so she could cook. We were like, we're definitely going to give you the money. So we said, Josie, we've got, we got the money, so Paul's happy to give you the money. And um, he, he kind of spoke to one of his other pastors, and they made arrangements and it's going to happen. So that was, that was amazing. And, you know, obviously she was very happy about that. And like I say, this is her kind of face after. This was actually the last day when we were all eating together. But that, that was amazing, I guess, to be in a, uh, a place where we could, could bless someone um, was, again, very, very, very humbling. Okay, I want to show you a picture of a school. It should be up there. Okay, so this is the school where the conference was being held. And... Hopefully you can see that it's quite a big building, and it was a big building. Compared to most of the buildings that we came across in our town, this was massive. And amazingly, the school, uh, sorry, the, the, the pastor Josie and his crew, I guess, um, owned the school. Um, but um, amazingly, this is one of the schools that St. Paul's had helped uh, buy, and I think we maybe put about half of the money for the school. And just to be in a place to see where the money that, St. Paul's that you guys had been giving and see it in, I guess, in action was, was like, oh, this is a reality. There is, we have a real connection with our brothers, brothers and sisters in India. Uh, this is a picture of the, like the boarding school for the school. So some people who live near could travel in, but they also had um, a boarding kind of area for those who couldn't walk in. And as you can see, they're finishing the top half of the building. Anyone who's a builder will be really fascinated to know that all the scaffolding poles were, in fact, bamboo. Yeah, I found that very, very fascinating and kept on taking pictures and looking at them. And Throughout the kind of town, there was these massive bamboo structures all tied together with some sort of leaf, I was told, to keep it, to keep it safe. And, uh, but it, it looked safe. <laughs> so the, the school was, uh, it wasn't actually a Christian school in that it was a state school but it was called Mount Zion, and the headmaster was a Christian and the staff were Christian, and they had seven buses, which I think we have pictures of, seven buses that they would go and pick up pupils and, and ship them in. The next picture, you'll see a picture of the state of the bus inside, so not the comfy, comfiest of rides, but still amazing that they had seven of these buses to go and pick up students. And I think one of the things I really love about Josie is that he really gets that people need spiritual food, they need spiritual help, but he also need, knows they need practical help. And so education, like anywhere in the world, is so important. And he was overseeing three different schools. Um, he was at one point overseeing more, but he had kind of give them over to other pastors or leaders to oversee. And uh, yeah, just great to see him getting stuck in. And, and I guess and St. Paul's having a, an effect over there. It, it was amazing. Another thing that we, we visited was a Bible school. So this was their Bible school. We got there quite late, so the quality isn't very good, but that's actually Josie on the right and Melly on the left. 
And we had heard about this. He had written to us about their Bible school, and they were really, really proud of it. And again, in our, in our kind of context, it's just basically a tin roof. And I went to a Bible school, and it's nothing compared to you know, the, the grandeur of, of the London School of Theology. But they had a place to meet and teach people about the Bible. And they were so excited. Whenever we met people, they were like, have you seen our Bible school? We've got a school where we can teach people about the Bible. And they were just so, so, they just felt so lucky. And so you could see that it was like a privilege to have a place where they can meet. It was on private property, private land. So, you know, they, they were fairly safe. Um, I remember Josie saying, um, it's amazing we can meet and have a, have a convention, as he kept them calling it, a convention, a wonderful convention. And he said, if we were to do this in a public place, it would just be trouble. He's like, there's no way. It would just get closed down and there'd either be bad trouble or just trouble. And but he said, we've got our own land. People can't really come in or it, it's less, it, you know, it's harder to kind of get in and, and disrupt things. And he was just saying, it's just basically a miracle that we just keep getting money to buy land and if, you know, he thinks about when he first moved to Bihar 15 years ago, they basically had no money. There was like a little small church of four or five people. And now it's, it's spread and there's, there's guys planting churches left, right and center there. And they've got these schools where they're, they're teaching people and they do a feeding program as well. It's really, it really, really is incredible. Okay, hopefully you're going to see some pictures of food and people eating. So... One thing I learned to do in India was to eat curry with my hands. So I'm sure in, in the places maybe that have been westernized or whatever, people use cutlery, but most places we went, they didn't have cutlery. And so, um, yeah, you got shoved your, your, your rice and your, your curry and, and off you went with your hands. And at first, I found it quite hard and quite messy. But in the end, I absolutely loved it. And Thursday night, me and, order, me and, order, me and Laura order curry. And I said, I'm going to use my hands in respect. And I did. And I absolutely enjoyed it. But yeah, the, the amazing thing about um, India and probably many other places that are underdeveloped is they really, 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 really get hospitality. So wherever you go, they are so, so quick to welcome you in, so quick to, to shove food down your throat, have a drink. And they just love, they love your company. Now, obviously, there's a bit of where the visitors we're the Western visitors and, you know, I guess they're revered guests. But you could see it wasn't just with us because they were exactly the same with the pastors who came into their homes as well. And it says in, in, this, in this passage you've been looking at to, to practice hospitality in verse 13. And you just thought, these guys, these guys got it. These guys, they had an open door policy and people were coming in all the time, taking food, taking drinks, and it was just—it was just really nice to—it was really nice kind of uh, atmosphere, community to to be around. I've just got two more points that I'm going to finish with. The first one is my highlight. Loads of amazing things that I loved about India um, and my experience there. But I think one was when we were at the conference and me and Mark were speaking to the men. So for one session, the men went uh, with me and Mark and the women went with uh, Kathy and Minnie, Josie's wife and we had a bit of separate time of teaching and we felt like we'd done quite a lot of talking uh, to them and of course none of them really spoke English so they had to um, have a translator and it was sometimes just quite hard work maybe so we thought let's just have a question time a chance for anyone to ask a question um, 
maybe about faith, about what we've been teaching on, hopefully. And it's really interesting. The first question was, in the Bible and in Genesis, did the snake originally have feet? And me and Mark kind of looked at each other and were like, guess so, because he lost his feet as, because of the curse. Um, and then it, we were kind of aware of partly their context, but their context really became clear in that question. So these were uh, the majority of the guys who were there, there was about 300 people, were from villages where uh, they converted from Hinduism, or some of them were just there kind of exploring Christianity. And uh, a lot of them were illiterate. And so the basic understandings of, of the Bible, from what we would say were basic, in some sense was quite far above um, their understanding. And as the questions started to, to flow, we really started to see it. They just had a really, yeah, a, a really, really basic understanding. So where do you start when you're, you're speaking to people from um, a different country who aren't speaking your language and who, who, who for some can't read the Bible? So as you know, in India, there's loads of different dialects and they don't have Bibles for each of those languages. They have it in Hindi and, and the main ones, but they don't have it in all the, the smaller ones. And we had some of the guys from small villages who had their own language. So even Pastor Josie, who's Indian and speaks Hindi, had to have an interpreter sometimes for the guys from other villages. And so that was, that was really interesting. But then it didn't take long for them to start talking about persecution. And I think it's quite easy to talk about persecution here, but over there, becomes quite hard um, and there was a bit of me thinking I don't really have authority to talk about persecution you guys could probably teach me about persecution I read about persecution I pray about persecution but being called a loser really isn't persecution um, so in my, in my gut and in my I guess my heart I was thinking I've got to, I've got to dig deep here because I, I did have answers and I guess my saving grace is that I have the authority that's from the Bible and, and not me. So, you know, I, I can teach from that and, and this is what the Bible says. And um, it just became apparent that for, for there, it, it is a real worry and it is really real. And I'd never really been in contact with people who had really been persecuted and were really scared. And, you know, there's been lots of stuff kicking off in Pakistan. Some of you may have heard that, but Bangladesh as well. And, and they're, they're bordering the east there is Bangladesh. And there have been lots of Christians being killed there really recently. And um, like I said earlier, in, in Bihar, it's not as bad as it was. They've got a new government who are a lot, um, a lot softer on other religions. But the previous government was really strict. And so... Yeah, kind of talking, them, talking to those guys about persecution was, was really interesting. And it, it just kind of, it basically kicked off. Basically, everyone had questions. Once one person asked questions, everyone had questions. And it was getting really, really heated. And you could see the pastors were getting involved. And they didn't even let us answer some of the questions. They were just speaking to them in Hindi. And, and yeah, but it was, it, was an, it was an amazing time, amazing kind of time of wrestling with those scriptures, really. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, here at St. Paul's, we had some baptisms. Anyone here to celebrate the baptisms? Amazing. I love baptisms because they're always, always a celebratory time to celebrate people coming to faith, people declaring that they love Jesus. And amazingly for us, we were a- able to witness some baptisms. And 15 people were baptized um, on the last day on the Sunday. 
And all of them but one were from Hindu background, so converted from another religion. And after that um, fiery discussion about persecution, suddenly the baptisms became really real for me. And I was thinking, wow, they are making, they are making a big statement here. They are making a big statement. And just like we do here, um, when people get baptized, there's a chance to share your faith. Uh, sorry, share why you believe. And um, people kind of went through the line and shared why they wanted to get baptized. And there was one up kind of woman, a bit, bit older than, than most of them, and, and she shared very briefly, and she said the word Jesus somewhere in there, and she fell flat on the floor. And I was like, what's going on? And she fainted, and, and some of the pastors kind of gathered around, and I had a little look, and she was basically shaking quite violently. And so I said to Josie, you know, what's going on? And she said, oh, well, this woman's been really heavily involved in witchcraft in, in Hinduism. And um, so as soon as she said the name of Jesus, she went flat on the floor. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I've read about this in the Bible. It's good. And so, <clears throat> so the pastor kind of came around, and then they started taking off her, her Hindu bits and bobs, her jewelry, and she had a, a big necklace of, that meant something or other. And then as soon as they took the necklace off, she just stopped. She just stopped calm. And I guess whatever was possessing her had gone and um, she, she seemed to calm down after that. But that was, a, that was an amazing experience to kind of see and witness. And I'm just going to show you now two short clips of the baptism. So the first clip is us walking to the pool. So the school actually had a, an, an old swimming pool, really. There's no way I was going to get in there because it's very dirty. But n- nonetheless, they had an amazing swimming pool, and it's massive. And so the first clip is us walking to the uh, swimming pool and there's a pastor there singing they've got a little um, battery powered amplifier so they still had music and then the second clip is a just short clip of a guy getting dunked but if you could play them now Mark that'd be great <laughs> First clip and the second clip. You see him taking some of the Hindu jewelry off there, his necklace. Me. 
amazing. That was just an amazing experience. And another, I guess, big highlight was that baptism service outside in the swimming pool and a real sense of joy. And like I said, really, for me, I've I've been brought up a a Christian and I, I really, really do believe, but for me, seeing those guys get baptized in that context, suddenly it became even more real. And I would say faith in India... I think I tweeted this when I got back. It was kind of like, either God is real in a place like that, or he isn't. Suddenly, your faith becomes a lot, a lot more black and white. They have far less distractions than we have. They're, they're far less comfortable than we are. And I know I have the tendency to be comfortable in my faith. And I can, I can easily do a week, a few weeks, a month, or whatever, and God not really affect my life. I think if I'm honest, that can really happen so easily. I think there, because it's so extreme, it forces you to take your faith seriously. And it forces you to take love, put love into action. And you think about that, um, the, the persecution that's really real. And in our passage, suddenly my eyes were open to what Paul is saying and thinking, this is the most challenging, radical thing anyone can say. And, and I know Jesus said it. But he kind of, he finishes um, the passage saying, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So this is all, all in the context of persecution, really. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. So for me, when I read this, it really challenged me. It challenged me to the core, actually. And I was thinking, you know, in this passage, Paul isn't just saying, just resist evil. He's saying, fight evil with good. You know, be, don't be passive in evil. Be active in evil. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, like I, I've probably said that quite a few times, but I haven't um, received persecution like those, and I probably, who knows, but might not. Um, but there's still people I find really hard in this world. If I can take... If I can take some of that and think, well, I'm going to try and love the hell out of people to the best of my ability. If I can, if I can love people who really annoy me, um, I was going to say in my life group, but some of them are here, and I, I love them all very dearly. But you know what it's like in life. As you go along, people can wind you up and really frustrate you. And I was thinking, well, at least if I can try and love those guys and do the best I can to show them um, God's love, um, that'll be a start. And if I ever do come into a place with persecution, I pray and hope that I can love them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. Like I say, I'm not in that context. But yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I want us to stand and we're going to pray. So please do stand. I realize I've been talking for a while, but that's okay.